You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Thank you, Matt. Uh, if we could, let's let's just pray one more time. Uh, not that your prayer wasn't sufficient, Matt, but I just want to pray before I go to the message here. Lord, uh, thank you again. Thank you that we can pray without ceasing. Thank you that uh, in any given moment um, we can come into your presence because of all that Christ has done for us. And Lord, I just uh, come to you now because uh, I always enter behind the pulpit trembling and uh, and I always am aware, God, of how much I need your help uh, to communicate uh, your word in a way that's relevant and understandable, but most of all, God, in a way that we can see application and know what we ought to do as your people. And Lord, uh, especially this morning, um, my heart's heavy, and um, but uh, you are our help. And so I look to you now and uh, pray, God, that... Uh, um, you will take care of what is out of our hands and that you will show yourself mighty and that you will make your presence known uh, both in uh, Jesse's hospice room and the patio there and also, Lord, that you would make your presence known right here where we are at and that, Lord, you would make your presence known in the various uh, homes or vehicles where people are uh, watching this service via the live stream. And Lord, we remember our friends who are visiting us this this week because of the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. And um, Lord, we know that there are many that are out there working to bring uh, the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to the streets during this rally. And we pray that you'll be with uh, each of them in that endeavor and that work that they're doing. So God, may your word be multiplied and may hearts and ears be opened. And may your spirit communicate to us in such a way that that repentance um, is the result. And following repentance, there is forgiveness, there is restoration, there is newness in walking with you. Lord, we really pray that that happens, not just here, but everywhere where your word is being preached. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, so we are in Romans chapter 12, going to wrap up the series that we've been calling uh, Genuine uh, this morning. Uh, it's been my pleasure to be able to stand here and fill the gap, so to speak, uh, but it's also my pleasure to be able to hand the torch over to, to Evan and uh, to see what he has in store for us as, as the weeks come. And I know he's excited about the preaching team that we've had here, so I'm pretty sure that we'll continue to hear uh, the voices that you have been hearing over this this span of a year or so as we've been searching for our new pastor. Um, so today, um, we're looking at, at Romans 12, particularly verses uh, 14 through 21. We're going to wrap this all up today. Um, I recently had read a story about this um, little-known South Pacific tribe on an island that had a very unusual practice. They would go out and they would scream at trees. Okay? And they would just keep screaming. They'd find a particular tree and they would just keep screaming and cursing this tree until it eventually died. Apparently there must be something. I mean, we were told that we're supposed to talk to our plants and that helps them grow and things like that. Apparently the negative can happen as well. I don't know if it has something to do with sound waves or, or what, but I just found that fascinating that you could yell at a tree until it was dead. Um, and, and I got to thinking, especially in the, the day and age that we're living right now, that there seems to be a whole lot of yelling going on. Um, there's a lot of screaming at trees, metaphorically, that's being done. And sometimes we as Christians are guilty of that. Um, sometimes we yell um, at society or culture or yell about it or what's wrong more than actually engage it. So there's two dangers that I find that we could have is that we could either be found yelling at trees or uh, giving them the silent treatment. And I think that's probably the most dangerous thing that could happen to a church is when we start giving the culture around us or society or the community that we are in the midst of 
the silent treatment. So today's message is entitled, The Mask of Isolated Indifference, because we want to be authentic, we want to be genuine, and we want the real deal uh, to be coming out of us, and we have to re- recognize that sometimes maybe we put on a mask, and in that mask we just kind of isolated ourselves or sequestered ourselves away from the culture, and we've stopped engaging the culture, and we've, in a sense, grown indifferent to it. So we want to make sure that that's removed today. As we look at Romans chapter 12, if you go back to verses 9 through 13, you can see that those passages clearly outline how Christians are not to live as a fractured people uh, with one another, but we're supposed to be active in unselfish love and, uh, and, and kindness and giving and generosity towards one another. And in doing that, this is a witness to an unbelieving world. Okay? Paul doesn't stop there, though. He carries right into the idea that Christians should also not be or live as a people that are fractured uh, from those who are still separated from God. Uh, Christianity seems to have developed kind of an unbiblical uh, idea of cloistering itself away from unbelievers. And we can't do that because this, too, is a witness to an unbelieving world, but it's a lousy one when that happens. So that's why Paul's going to address uh, what he's going to address here. Now, we understand that the people of Jesus are supposed to be holy, okay? And we understand that word holy to often be uh, translated into separate from. Uh, But we have to also understand that that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be separated from an unholy world. It might be better to understand the word holy as to be different. (laughs) To be different from the world, but yet still in the world, still engaging and still reaching out to people. And why do we do this? We do this because God's love has been constant in reaching out to people in need of redemption. That's something that he has been doing since before we even left Eden as humanity. God has constantly and and forcefully even, I might say, relentlessly pursued people in need of redemption. And we are here because of that. And, and, And we have to be reminded that that work is still continuing on as we go. Um, He has engaged sinful humanity, uh, and even though humanity has been rebellious towards him, his pursuit has never diminished uh, of, of these folks. Now, this love was portrayed perfectly and was fulfilled completely when Jesus Christ went to the cross. There's no way that one can question the love of God when you see what he did for us when we did not deserve it uh, by dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, Jesus then said, pick up your cross and follow me. And I think that what Jesus meant when he said that, take up your cross, he meant for us to take the message of his cross as our cross and to go into the uttermost regions of this world telling them of this great love. Um, I don't have a cross that I'm supposed to die on for anybody's sin. Jesus did that. So what cross am I carrying other than his cross for all of humanity? So that's kind of the charge that he has given to us. We have to understand that it is not authentic love if we hunker down and build our own subculture of society and politics and turn away or run away from the wickedness of our world. But that's, that's tempting, isn't it? Uh, when you watch the news, you just, don't you want to just find a hole? Go hide in it, pull a rock over you or something like that. Uh, this is not an easy world that we're living in. It's a broken world. Uh, when, when, we, when we saw the video of that explosion in Beirut, uh, we know that there are things wrong in this world. And it's tempting to want to just go the other way. Just just run. It's, it's just tempting to... Uh, Ra- Does anybody remember Randy Stonehill? 
Uh, Randy Stonehill, Christian artist, is just, yeah, I guess those guys with gray hair and no hair and everything. <laughs> we remember Randy Stonehill. He had a song that was called Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. I really like that song, yeah. Uh, you know, because it's so easy to just kind of have that mentality. I'd rather just leave this mess and let somebody else sort it out. But that's not what God has called his church to do. He's planted his church right in the thick of it. And uh, we're continuing to plant churches right in the thick of it. And we're supposed to go out and to engage the wickedness that we might see in this world. So I have a story. There's this friend of mine, a uh, Christian uh, guy. When he was a young man... Sorry, I got really thirsty there. When he was a young man... Uh, he made friends with this kind of party monster, long-haired, trouble-making uh, kid. You know, they're both about the same age and everything. And uh, they, they, they just hung out together a lot, this Christian and this, this very, uh, very volatile, non-Christian kid. And one of his co-workers, who was another Christian man, and he was an older man. You know how we're told to respect our elders and things like that and listen to the wisdom of, of those that are, have gone before us kind of thing. Uh, this gentleman came to my friend and he said, you know, you ought not to hang around that guy. He's going to destroy your faith. That's what he told my friend, and it, it really troubled my friend because he was trying to he was trying to take that that gentleman's advice, but line it up with what Scripture said, what Jesus said about going into the world and making disciples. And he found himself in a dilemma. Um, so he said, "Don't you know?" He was. This is what he heard from Christianity in that day: was no, don't go out and hang around with those people because they're going to bring you down. They're going to tear you down. And I think that was probably back in the early 80s or so. And, and for a long time, for a couple of decades, that kind of prevailed in Christian society. That we would somehow, you know, we'd create all these Christian things and isolate ourselves from the world instead of taking Christianity into the world. And I'm starting to see that trend reverse now. But uh, he shared that with me, that story, because he said that, 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 was, that was what I felt like I had to do, was that I had to avoid people. So he said I actually kind of grew cold in my, in my witness and in my sharing with people. So as I thought about him sharing that story and what Paul is saying here, I also thought about the name that we have as a church, and it's called Common Ground. Okay? And we make a lot of fun about that name and, and jokes and whatnot about that. But I, I also thought about the need especially in the world that we're living in today, to, to find common ground on uncommon ground. In, in, in other words, how do we engage with people so much different than us in their thoughts and their beliefs and their practices and things like that, rather than run from them? How do we actually engage with them? And how do we do it in a way that the world has never seen before? So it's kind of a double entendre there on that uncommon ground idea. And I think that Paul, uh, through the Holy Spirit, gives us several ways that we can do that. So let's look at the text. The first, the first way that we can establish common ground on uncommon grounds is through disarming engagement. Disarming engagement, okay? Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Okay, now that is straight from the horse's mouth. That's straight from Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Okay, I, I just always think it's cool whenever Paul quotes Jesus like that. And, and just boom, there it is. Now that not only is straight from the mouth of Jesus, uh, not only did he say that, but it's also straight from the example of Jesus. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And, and that's something that Jesus is known for, right? Uh, he didn't curse. He didn't rebuke back when people, re, you know, railed on him. He didn't give them the same stuff. Instead, he he blessed them. And if you think about this, Jesus was the most persecuted individual that ever lived. Nobody has ever faced persecution like Jesus Christ has. He was persecuted from his from his early childhood by Herod all the way on up to the end of his life here on earth. And you can see when you read the Gospels how that persecution ramps up against him all the way to nailing him to a cross when he was absolutely innocent. Now, none of us understand that kind of persecution. So if the most persecuted man ever throughout his lifetime, throughout his ministry, all the way up into his death, would say something like that and also embody what he said there, then I think that's worth looking at and it's worth listening to. 
Now the word blessed in the Greek is eulogia. That's where we get the word eulogy, right? Okay. So what's a eulogy? What when you go, you know, you're at a funeral service or something like that? What happens during a eulogy? What do you hope happens when it's your eulogy that someone's saying for you? What's that? They're saying good things, and that's exactly what that word means—to speak a good word. All right, and um, what what Paul is saying here, and what Jesus said originally, is that while people are still alive, we should be speaking life to them instead of yelling at trees to kill them. We should be speaking life to broken people in such a way that they are blessed. That they are blessed. And that's a challenge. It really is. I mean, just driving during the rally, okay, is enough for me to want to curse. <laughs> uh, but instead of being angry and upset, what, what the scripture tells me I should do is I should be looking for good words to say. Uh, that I can be a blessing to those people. So that is disarming when that happens. Because sometimes, you know, if, if, if we can, and let me put it this way, if Jesus could say that we are to bless those who persecute us, those who most viciously treat us in a way because of our faith in Jesus Christ, then that means we can do that on every level on up above that. Right? If we can do it for the worst, then we should be able to do it in any given instance and circumstance. So what we should do if we want to engage this culture rather than run away from it is we should be looking for these opportunities in which we can come to them and know regardless, maybe even in spite of the way they treat us, say something good to them. Say something that they probably never heard before. And maybe for the first time in their life, someone has spoken a good thing into them. And it should come from the representation of Jesus Christ. Uh, It should come from there. The second thing that he gives us is in verse 15. And uh, this is uh, seizing an opportunity. And, And I like this passage. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now again, look at the context here. He's not talking about fellow believers anymore. He's already handled that in verses 9 through 14, or 13. Now he's talking about people outside of the faith. And he began with those who persecute us. And he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Now, yeah, that's easy to do with fellow believers, right? And I think we often think that's the context of that passage, but it it goes beyond that. We're supposed to be doing that not just within the body of Christ, but outside of the body of Christ, too. Okay? And it's interesting, he uses a couple of uh, Greek words in here that they kind of rhyme with each other. uh, Cairo and klaio. And Cairo is the Greek word for rejoice, and it means to be well, to thrive. Okay, it's not just be happy, you know, kind of thing, but to be well and to thrive. And this is what Scripture is telling us as Christ followers to do, and that's to step into an unbro- to a broken world and to find a way that we can connect with people by helping them to thrive and to be well. Now, that's in no way saying that you celebrate their sins. Okay, if if you got. I'm just going to make up a sin, um, whipping kindergartners with a wet squirrel. Okay, If you got this guy that that's just his thing, man, he goes, hey, let's go out and whip some kindergartners with a wet squirrel because that really makes me thrive. I feel well when I do that. Um, we should probably say no. I, you know, uh, Probably not. But if you ever want to go kayaking, count me in. Okay, see how that works? You know, just because someone might have some sinful, uh, they should, they're they're fallen people, that's what we do as fallen people. Instead of fleeing away from that and saying, well, I can't have anything to do with you because you carry on in this way or that way. Instead, we should be saying, I'm sorry, I can't do that. But if you ever want to do this, if this makes you thrive, I'm in. Let's go do that. See, you're looking for an opportunity, again, to build a relationship with somebody by finding, well, what makes that person thrive? And, and how can I walk with them as they do that, rather than just running away? And then the word weep is klio in the Greek, and that means to suffer and to grieve with. Now, we of all people as Christians should show full empathy with those that are hurting because we know ourselves the depths of loss and pain 
but we also know the hope of enduring it. You know, it's kind of the advantage we have in grieving. You know, when Paul says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. All right? Yeah, we grieve, but we have a hope that surpasses that grief. The world does not have that hope. And so we, again, have to look for opportunities and seize those opportunities if somebody's hurting to come alongside them and to hurt with them. Now, some of my favorite stuff is written by A.A. A. Milne. You know who he is? He, he wrote the Winnie the Pooh stories. You know, and there's always these great little conversations between Pooh and Piglet. There's this one where Pooh was having a very bad day, and Piglet asked him what was happening. He says, I'm having a very bad day. <laughs> oh, bother. <laughs> and, and Piglet says, is there anything that I can do to help? And Pooh's like, no, there's, I don't think you can help me with my bad day. And Piglet says, is it okay if I just sit with you here? And so Piglet just sat with Pooh there. And Piglet, you know, the, just steadfast, faithful Piglet, he was always timid and scared, but he was always on Pooh's side. And he just sat there and he told Pooh, he says, I have very bad days too. So I thought I'd be the best person to sit here with you while you have a very bad day. You know, th- there's just that simple wisdom in a children's story that reminds us that that's what we're supposed to be about. That's what weeping with those who weep means. We don't have all the answers for them. You know, when someone's having a bad day, it's really not a good idea to say, well, you know, you really need Jesus. Okay? Yeah, it's a good idea, but don't say it then. Okay, uh, what you probably just need today is a friend, right? Can I do that for you? Can I just sit with you? Is there anything you need? I'll go get it for you, this kind of thing. That's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the work of ministry for each and every follower of Jesus Christ. Um, it's relationships 101, really. If somebody's hurting, hurt with them. If somebody's, ha- if somebody's pursuing something that's good, pursue it with them. You know, and, and the key there is with them. Okay? We are always, every day, given the opportunity to engage with a broken soul and to remind them of our common humanity. Let me say that again, because I think we forgot that as the church, that our job is to engage with broken souls and to remind them of our common humanity. Hey, we all we all come into this world kicking and screaming. We all go out of this world kicking and screaming. And we have that in common. And instead of looking at all the things that are uncommon between us and unbelievers, we should be looking for those things that we share in humanity, but also bring the advantage along and say, hey, here's what I found when I've gone through times such as these. Here's how my faith in Jesus Christ has helped me. And again, you have to be, you know, you have to build that relationship. You have to earn that right, in a sense, to be heard, to speak those things into their lives. Okay, moving on, the next one in verse uh, 16 is uh, to be impartially unproud. Is that a word, unproud? I don't know if it is. I'm making it one now. Uh, So to be impartially unproud. Here's the verse, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be conceited. So you see how Paul kind of sandwiched this haughtiness and conceited thing in there together. Um, and when he says harmony, to live in harmony, the Greek word phaneo is, is to be of the same mind, to take one side. Ooh. See, now that's where it gets challenging for us as Christians, because when we come alongside broken people, we have to look for ways not only to speak good words with them or into them, not only to weep with them if they're weeping or to rejoice with them if they're rejoicing, but we're also supposed to figure out ways that we can be on their side. For too long, the unbelieving world has believed that it's us versus them. Christianity versus lost people, or however we phrase that anymore. And in reality, think about the life of Jesus Christ. Whose side was he on? The religious people? The Pharisees? Or the tax gatherers? The sinners? The prostitutes? You know, he was on their side. And he made sure that they knew that. And that's, that's what missions is for us, is to go out into a broken world, to come alongside these folks and to say, hey, 
Here's where I can stand with you. That's what harmony is. Here's where I can stand with you in these things. And then he says, consider what is good. I'm I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit here. Um, But then he says, um, to not be haughty or conceited. Uh, I'll just translate that simply into, don't get all high and mighty. Okay. But has the world experienced a lot of that attitude from the church? Yeah, it has. has From me? Yeah, probably. You know, get off your high horse. That's something my dad would always tell me. I never understood what that meant because I didn't like horses anyway. But, uh, you know, don't get all high and mighty was, was what he meant. In other words, don't be acting like you're more moral or smarter than fallen humanity. Because we're not. Okay? We didn't bring anything into this relationship with Jesus Christ other than our own brokenness. We're, we're without, apart from Christ, we're, we're on the same level of every person bound for hell. Right? And, 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 and we don't have this uncanny intelligence, you know, that somehow we picked God because we're smarter than the rest of the world or something like that. But for too, for too long, that's kind of been the attitude the world, the world has received from, from us. And, and Paul just said it there. He says, don't be haughty. <laughs> don't be conceited. But rather, he says, to associate uh, with the lowly. And that's just come alongside. That's, that's, that's exactly what he means here. And when he says come alongside, he, there's also a, a subject, an object of that, uh, I mean. And, and it's come aside alongside those who are lowly. And when I looked into what that meant, lowly, it meant those who are often considered by others or even themselves to be the scum of the earth. You know, and we do that, don't we? We, we classify people sometimes and we go, oh yeah, there's, there's that category. <laughs> and we might tend to be tempted to avoid uh, the people that we perceive as the lowest of the low or, or something like that, where in reality what we're supposed to do is run to them. Uh, what we're supposed to do is instead of saying, oh, I'd rather, I'd rather share with people or spend time with people that are easy to spend time with, <laughs> that's partiality. Okay, That's a sin, uh, according to the book of James, uh, to do that. What we're supposed to do is to go, I'm going to go to that person because they probably need to know Jesus more than anybody else does right now today. They're hurting. They are hurting. And that's the mentality that we also have to adopt too, that, that broken sinners in this world that we used to be, why were we that way? Because we were hurting. So the, the worst things that have ever come out of our mouths or have been imagined in our minds or have ever been carried out by our hands have been because we were hurting in some way. If we could start seeing that people are wounded and need healing that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, then we should be running out of this place just like it was the explosion out in Beirut looking for anybody that survived that to say, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I get you to safety? How can I get you to life? Because that's what we look at when we look at the world outside of Common Ground Church or any other church. We're looking at the walking wounded. And they, and they probably aren't going to admit it, but they probably would be the first ones to say, I'm the worst of the worst. They'll come up with all kind of masks to wear, just like Christians wear masks. Unbelievers wear masks too. And they'll come up with all these, oh, I'm fine, I'm good. But the reality is, is they're screaming inside, I'm hurting, and I don't think anybody can hear me. And this is our opportunity to seize, to come alongside them and say, I do hear you. I do hear you. Let me walk with you. And then verses 17 and 18 kind of come together and it gives us this step to uh, find common ground on uncommon grounds, and that's to be a peaceable people. Now, please don't miss how relevant this is for our times because there isn't much peace amongst humanity right now. Uh, Watch the news, or the nightly propaganda, as I like to call it. (laughs) You're going to see that we are at each other's throats. Uh, COVID has not helped that. <laughs> We're all kind of having a little bit of this uh, pandemic fatigue that's wearing us thin. Uh, the situation with the riots and the protesting and all that isn't helping much either. Um, our political, well, let's not even talk about them. 
It's, it's just not been good, has it? And it doesn't take much for it to creep in, even even within the body of Jesus Christ, where we kind of we kind of slack off a little bit and we forget how we're to pursue peace. Okay, and again, Paul's talking about we're talking about pursuing peace with people outside of the church. So he says, "Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people, and if possible." Now he's saying it doesn't always happen. He says, "If it's possible, so far as it depends on you." Okay, we're not putting the onus on the other guy. It's all on us. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Not some people, not the people that are easy to get along with, but with all people. Live peaceably. We're supposed to make that as possible as we can. It's on us to do that. Now, I like that phrase that's kind of sandwiched in there where it says to consider what is good before all people. Here's a good way to pursue peace with people that you may not share common ground with, okay? Um, you guys know that I'm, I'm kind of a fan of J.R.R. Tolkien. Have I made that clear yet? If I haven't, I'm you know, delinquent in my job here. Um, I, like, I like Tolkien. I, I like his stories, okay? So you're probably familiar somewhat with The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, okay? If you aren't, uh, get a life. Gee, man, what's, what's holding you back? You know? <laughs> but you've either read the books and said, man, I really like those books. Or you watch the, the film adaptation of the books. You said, yeah, I kind of like those too because it's easier than reading a book. You know, and learning about flowers and foliage and all these kind of things that Tolkien loves talking about while people are on their journeys. Um, but here's the interesting thing that I've discovered about the Lord of the Rings, you know, other than it being a really good story. People from all walks of life really seem to love it. Believers love it. Unbelievers love it. Why is that? Why do you think that is, that, that, that a simple book written by a Christian man, J.R. Tolkien, Telling us a story could unite humanity. It's because of the things he talks about in the story. Loyalty. Courage. Doing, doing the hard thing because you know it's the right thing. You know, there are things in that story that appeal to all of us no matter how fallen we are. Because sometimes God uses literature like that to remind us of the truths of the Bible that we are off the mark. As human, as human beings. And we really do long for these things. We, we really do want to experience those things. Now, if we could do that with a simple book like The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, then, then we should be able to do that in almost anything. Everybody considers something good. Stand together and consider what those things are and strive for a peaceful relationship in that. Look for the things that Build peace. This is not a new idea. Psalm 34, 14 says, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That was Israel's job in a, in a, in a, in a world that was turned upside down. Their job was to turn away from evil and pursue peace. They didn't do it. So they got hauled away to Babylon. Okay? Now, we call that the exile, the Old Testament exile of Israel for 70 years in Babylon. And I think what we often do is we look at that as God's wrathful punishment against his people. He was mad. So he said, you don't get to live in Jerusalem anymore. Instead, I'm going to have the Babylonians kick your tail out of there, and then they're going to take you captive, and you're going to have to live with them. Dirty, rotten sinners. Because of your disobedience. Well, yeah, they were disobedient. They were supposed to be going out into the world, making God known, making Yahweh known to everybody, including the Babylonians, but they didn't. They chose to indifferently isolate and to hunker down. Well, God's plan is not going to be thwarted. So he says, you know, I really want to reach the Babylonians, so I'm going to have them come and get you. And then they're going to take you away. Yeah, you deserve this. But that's not the only reason I'm doing this. I'm not just here to, to spank you, Israel. I'm, I'm here to accomplish my purpose. And that is to make my name known in every nation of this world. So he plants them, boom, right in the middle of, of Babylon. And then he tells Jeremiah that, to tell them this, Jeremiah 29.7. Seek first the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your own welfare. You know, and, and basically what he was just saying there, he says, Hey Israel, I've plucked you out of Jerusalem, I've plucked you out of your cloisteredness, and I've put you right into the thick of the world right now, where things are evil, where things are wicked, where things are broken, and where people are hurting. And while you're there in exile, this is what I want you to do. Pray for the peace of Babylon. Seek for the good of all that are there. You know, and aren't we told in Philippians not to just seek our own good, but to pursue the interests of others? And in doing that, we're putting on the mind of Jesus Christ. Because isn't that what he did when he came down here to us, when we were rebelling against him and railing against him? He came here and sought our good, and he sought our welfare. Not his own. But it was good for him to do that. And we're told the same thing, that if we're looking for welfare for ourselves, then look for the welfare of others first. Think of others first, Philippians 2.4. And in doing so, um, establish peace uh, when you, wherever you go, as you go. Okay, that gets us down to the last few verses here. And uh, this is something that we <laughs> we often have to be reminded of because, I, I, you know, we like vengeance, you know? Think about it. A lot of the books we read are built off of vengeance. A lot of the movies we watch, uh, it, it's all about vengeance. If, if, if you're a professional wrestling fan, you know, what carries the storyline amongst these big slabs of meat out there throwing each other around? It's usually vengeance. Um, we kind of like that. We like it when the villain gets his due, you know, and, and what's-his-name had to do whatever it took. The good guy, we, we call him, had to, he did whatever it took to make sure that guy got his due. Um, we can't do that because vengeance is outside of the Christ follower's domain. Okay, it's not on our dashboard. It's, it's not in the manual, you know. It's not our fail-safe to go back to when things are really stinking. We can say, okay, I can do this for so-and-so, and I can, I can be peaceably with, live peaceably with so-and-so, and I can speak good into others, and I can, I can, uh, I can mourn with those who are mourning, and I can, but there are certain people who just need to have God flick them right off the face of the earth. Uh-uh. No, we are not to have that mindset. There are none. There are none. The worst person you can think of, regardless of their political affiliation. We're not supposed to seek that against them. It's not in our domain. He says in verse 19, Do not avenge yourselves, dear friends. You have place to God's wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So it just says right there that that's entirely God's domain. Okay, now we have to be really careful with this because we can get really passive-aggressive in our vengeance and say, okay, I won't take vengeance against them, but I'll let God kick their butts. That's up to God. If they don't ever repent, you know, then justice will be carried out. But God's heart is for them to repent. And he'll do everything that he can to bring them to repentance before damnation would fall upon them. So Paul gives us the balancing point with this. And he says, rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Now, isn't that a weird passage? It's a quotation right out of the Old Testament. Be kind to others. Meet their needs regardless of their enemies or whatever. Just, just meet their needs because as you do that, you're kind of secretly, inward, you know, secretly covertly bringing doom upon them. No, that's not what that verse is saying at all. Okay, Because it's not in that context that that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be meeting the needs of others, whoever they are. And especially if they're opposed to us. Meet their needs. Do whatever it takes. So I did some digging into what, what is exactly meant by this heaping burning coals upon their head. You know, I'm going to be nice to you and I'm just going to shovel hellfire on you while I do it. That's not, what, that's not what that is. So I want you to imagine it's, it's a South Dakota Black Hills blizzard. All right? Not hard to imagine those, is it? You know, we get one or two every year. Um, and the power goes out. But you have a wood-burning stove in your house. 
your neighbor, who is the biggest jerk in the world, okay, I don't know what he does, he kicks your cats or something like that, you know, he's just, ugh. Oh man, you know, and, oh, he sees you on Sunday. Oh, I'm off to church again, huh, man? So glad I don't have to do that. I'm going golfing, you know, whatever they do, kind of thing. This guy has just been getting under your skin. But you're sitting there next to your fire thinking, man, good thing I got this fireplace and the power goes out like this. Who knows? Could be another atlas, could be several days. And then you think about your neighbor over there and he has only electric heat. That's all he's got. And you take a sip of your hot coffee and go, hope he's got a lot of blankets. Well, if Christ has done anything in your life, then you're probably going to go over there, you know, face first into the wind and the snow and everything else, boom, 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 knock on the door and things like that. And you're going to say, hey, look, I know the power's out. I lost the power. I'm pretty sure you lost power. Yeah. Okay. You only got electric heat. Come over to my house, sit by my fire. Okay. Have a cup of hot cocoa with marshmallows and we'll pursue peace together (laughs) now you don't say that but you know actually that's what you're doing okay you're forgetting all these odds that you have against one another and and you're actually looking for that common ground and you're saying let's do this and you're showing kindness to this person now the reason i say that is because in this culture when this was written we have to understand that that while the bible is literally true not every word is literal Okay, it's figurative. In Middle Eastern cultures, most of what they communicated in writing was word pictures. Okay, so what this statement was giving here is a word picture. And what this culture would do when the power would go out, so to speak, they were cold, their fire went out. They don't have any hot coals anymore and they can't get it going again. And they're desperately cold. And so this person comes over to you and says, my fire went out. Can you help me? You know, he he swallowed his pride. He's been a jerk to you and all this sort of thing. But now he really needs some, he needs some hot coals. So he says, could you, could you give me some hot coals? And you say, yeah, I can, I can do that for you. And he's probably thinking to himself right now, why would he do that for me? The way I treat him. You know, I only came to him because I'm desperate. I don't like the guy. But I'm desperate. But why would he give me? You know, he, I deserve for him to just slam the door in my face. But instead, instead, the the person says, "Not here. Here you go." And he's got this big pot, you know, and he carries the coals in that big pot so he can take it back home and get his fire reignited again. Right? Okay. Now, have you ever carried something big and lunky? And what what happens? Your knees and your shins are bumping into it. Right? Uh, us Westerners, we're stupid. We just keep banging our legs into it and hate carrying it. You know, I hate this thing. <laughs> but the Eastern culture, they carry stuff on their heads. Apparently their heads aren't as round as us Westerners, you know. They put stuff up on their head. And that's exactly what he do. He's got this pot of hot coals. He's walking back home. He's going, it's hard to carry like this. And puts it up on his head. And as he's walking along, he's feeling the heat of those hot coals on his head. And the only thing he can think about is the kindness, the undeserved kindness of his neighbor. That's what that scripture means. I mean, yeah, there's a place for God's wrath, and that will happen. But that's not our domain. Our domain is for them to experience undeserved kindness. You know, that guy's sitting in your house under one of your blankets, drinking your hot chocolate... Maybe you spiked it with a little bit of schnapps. I don't know. He's sitting there thinking, man, I do not deserve this. The way I've spoken to this fellow, the way I've ridiculed him and things like that, it's going to make him wonder, why would he show this kindness to me? And that's really all we're supposed to do as Christians is to, is to cause that question to come up in people's heads. Why do you love me like that? I don't deserve that. Why? I keep giving you all kinds of garbage and you keep coming back with good. Why do you do that? And, and it's a, that's your perfect setup to say because that's exactly what Jesus did for me. I didn't deserve his goodness and he, and he gave it to me. And now I'm supposed to carry that into this world wherever I go. So he wraps it up with verse 21 by saying this, this general blanket overall statement Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. And that's what all these things were about. Overcoming evil with good. Not returning evil for evil. You know, you poke my eye, I'll poke your eye kind of thing. It's like, well, whatever you do to me, I want to give you the best that I can give you. Because that's what God's love is. It's desiring God's best for another person, no matter what it's going to cost me personally. Now, again, don't underestimate the relevance of this statement for the times that we're living in. We should consider, well, what is good before all people? What is valuable to humanity that God can provide through a relationship in Jesus Christ? Whoever the person is, we're supposed to respond to them with good. If it's a person of color, they need to experience good in this age that we live in. If they dress in blue and wear a badge, they need to experience good in this world that we live in. Not hate, not vitriol, not bitterness, not screaming and yelling, and certainly not silent indifference. Whoever they are, we need to be going into their life and speak good to them. Burning down stores and flipping over cop cars and things like that is not going to change anything. It's not. Have you not studied human history? It doesn't change a thing. It makes things worse. But if we see something wrong with the way police do something, then what if we went and we sat down with them and sought peace? And we blessed them. And we mourned with them. What if we started learning more about what makes their job horrible? You know, and thinking about that. In the same token, what if we, you know, sat down with a person of color? Now, I don't buy in, excuse my language, I don't buy into this thing that all cops are bastards. There's a couple that are. You know, the guys that pulled me over gave me a speeding ticket. (laughs) But most of the cops I know here in Rapid City are some of the best people I've ever met. And it offends me when people use that all cops are thing. Because I don't know a single cop, well, there's probably some out there that might, but the cops that I know don't tell me that all black people are criminals. They know that's not right. So instead of dividing like we do, now in these times that we live in, and Christians, we should be leading the charge in this, so we should be finding ways to establish common ground. Not just so that our political agenda gets satisfied, but so that Jesus Christ is portrayed to this world. That lost people who think they don't have a chance in hell of being forgiven can find out that that's possible because of a simple act of kindness from a human being. Now some people might say, I don't know, Nick, man, I... I'm afraid that if I do all these things, I'm going to appear like some kind of a pushover, a patsy. Well, if you say that, here's what you're really saying. I'm afraid of looking like Jesus. Because that's what he did. He took it. He just stood up and took it. And he's not asking any of us to stand up for ourselves because that's what he does. He stands up for us. What he's asking us to do in these passages is stand up for Him in this world that needs to know who Jesus Christ is. Our love for one another is a witness to this world. How we treat this world is a witness to the world. You cannot not witness. The question is, is what kind of a witness are we going to be? So anyway, my friend, who was given that very bad advice to stay away from that dirty, rotten, sinful young man... Uh, rejected that advice and stuck with him. And because he did, because of what Jim Crossman did, Nick Rambo is here today. You see, I, I owe my salvation to Jesus Christ entirely and completely, but I also owe it 
to a faithful Christian who said, I'm going to love that whacked out crazy dude, even though everybody tells me not to. I'm going to speak peace into his life. I'm going to bless him whenever I can. I'm going to point him to things that are good. And when life gets him down, I'm going to sit with him. And when he's enjoying life, and it's something that I can enjoy too, I'm going to enjoy it with him. Relationships 101. It's exactly what Jesus did for us. And he says, go and do the same to others. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we come before you this day, it's, it's a hard world that we're living in. And uh, I, I am not a brave person. <laughs> and to go and engage people that I'm uncomfortable with, God, is, uh, is terrifying, frankly. Just, uh, I, I don't know, I'd rather hit all my fingers with a hammer sometimes. But God, you've called me to go and to bless them to weep with them if they're weeping, to rejoice with them if, if they're happy about something in life and they're thriving and it's good, um, to consider with them what is good for all of humanity. And Lord, no matter how badly they might treat me, You know, if they cut me off in traffic, I'm not supposed to go and cut them off or wave at them with one digit. I'm supposed to speak kindness to them, God. Breathe life towards their brokenness. And God, the only way I can do that is through your Holy Spirit, because I ain't got it. And I know that my brothers and sisters here would have to confess the same thing. We we don't have it. Left to ourselves, we just bring what's worse into this world. To bring good, Lord, we we need you. We need you desperately. So, Father, we know. We know that we are surrounded by anger. We know that we're surrounded by hatred. We know that we're surrounded by lack of understanding ignorance at times we're running short on patience we're depleted when it comes to tolerating one another we just look for ways to go at one another's throats God save us from that and we pray that through the teachings of Jesus Christ and through the works of Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit that you freely give to all who believe in Jesus Christ, that, Lord, we might walk into this broken world, find another human being who's hurting badly, who really need to know what hope looks like, and that, Lord, we would carry our cross to them, and not just tell them, but also show them what Jesus looks like. Lord, may this be our common goal. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.